Israel Story is brought to you by Project Kesher. Project Kesher is a non-profit organization that empowers and invests in women. They develop Jewish women leaders and interfaith coalitions in Belarus, Russia, Ukraine, and Israel. They deliver Torahs to women who've never held one before, broadcast women's health information on Ukrainian public radio, and help Russian-speaking immigrants to Israel advocate for equal rights. Learn more at projectkeshir.org. This episode is also sponsored by the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan in New York City. They provide great virtual programs, classes, and events for all ages in a dazzling variety of areas, including the arts, fitness, and Jewish life. As many of you know, the JCC is also Israel Story's home away from home, having dreamt up and co-produced all our live shows. And while their building may be closed right now, the JCC is anything but closed. Check out their daily offerings at jccmanhattan.org. And now, to our episode. March 22nd, 2020. My heart is broken. On Friday night, my worst fears were realized as I watched my beloved patient, Arya Evan, take his last breath on earth. Two other patients rushed to his side. With tears in my eyes, I watched them instinctively place their hands on his eyes and recite the Shema prayer. They comforted him and said goodbye as his holy soul entered the gates of heaven. That's Rachel Gemara. Normally, she's an oncology nurse. But back in March, when COVID first hit Israel, Rachel was one of a handful of nurses transferred to the new coronavirus ward at her hospital, Sharei Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. She worked day and night, following strict isolation protocols. That meant, among other things, wearing full protective gear and administering care via video intercoms. She was often frightened, as were many of her patients. One of them was 88-year-old Arye Evin, who, on March 20th, 2020, sadly became Israel's first COVID casualty. When she'd come home after a shift, Rachel would often sit down at her computer and recount her experiences on Facebook. Those posts, and we'll link to a bunch of them on our site, read like a diary. This is her, reading the post she wrote right after Arya passed away. I know what the next step is, and I'm already dreading it. Traditionally, when a Jew dies, there's a series of rituals, including washing the body, that take place. But Rachel knew that now, with COVID, everything would be different. Misrad HaBriyut, the Ministry of Health, has prepared us with instructions on how to deal with deceased COVID-19 patients. We are the first hospital in Israel to implement this protocol. Similar to casualties of biological warfare, our treatment of the body needs to be done in a way that will not endanger us. 
Because of this, there can be no purification or tahara process. This Jewish ritual is sacrificed to protect us and everyone else who will come in contact with him. Me and the other nurse, Michal, are responsible for identifying him for burial. We'll be the last ones to see and care for him physically. My dear Aryeh, you survived the horrors of the Holocaust, immigrated to Israel, established a magnificent family, and your extraordinary journey ends here. In this new world, we hoped we would never have to open. The circumstances of your hospitalization did not allow for your loving family and caretaker to be by your side. For us and them, this was heartbreaking. From the outside, we monitored you as closely as we could. We were in awe as we watched the other patients care for you, keep you company, and help you however they could. They did not want you to ever feel alone. Arya, I want to ask you for forgiveness. I'm sorry for how we were required to handle your body. We did our best to preserve your dignity and respect you based on the circumstances. I know that it was done to protect us. It was a tremendous schut and honor to care for you in your final days. You've touched my heart, the staff, and the patients that surrounded you. I know your life will inspire the rest of Am Yisrael as well. Go to your resting place in peace. Look out for us from above. A few days later, she posted again, this time about two moments, one of extreme grief and the other of extreme beauty. March 28, 2020. It's been only two weeks since my first shift in Keter, the COVID-19 ward, and in many ways, it feels like an eternity. As panic and uncertainty keep escalating around the globe, for me personally, the pressure and anxiety are quickly building up, and it's nothing short of overwhelming. In the span of two weeks, the number of patients in my unit has quadrupled, and it keeps growing. The everyday experiences in the ward are taking an emotional toll on me. On Friday, a daughter of a critical patient walks into our operations headquarters since no family member can go inside the unit. She has come to say goodbye to her ill father through the video intercom system. She asks me to hold her phone and record their interaction. As I watch her cry and talk to her father through a screen, I have to physically turn my head to hold back tears. This is heart-wrenching to watch. I cannot even begin to imagine what it's like for them. At 6.30 p.m., with 30 minutes left until the end of my shift, I'm rushing to finish my last tasks inside the unit. At this point, the moderate patients have all congregated in the middle of the ward to do Kabbalah Shabbat. I soon realize it's the only permissible minyan in Jerusalem right now. People from all walks of life and across the religious spectrum are singing and rejoicing together as they bring in Shabbat. I'm blessed to be witnessing the scene of unity and Avat Israel. I already know this coming week is going to present more challenges physically and emotionally, but I know I'm not alone. We're in this fight together. We're going to come out of this stronger and more united as a nation than ever before. Stay strong and stay at home. God bless. Hey, I'm Mishi Harman, and this is Israel Story. With all that's gone on these past few months, 
with all the countless ways in which COVID has reshaped our lives, it's easy to forget, or at least misremember, what it all felt like in the beginning. In the days before Anthony Fauci was a household name, and before we all sprinkled our conversations with terms like herd immunity, shelter in place, and flattening the curve. Our episode today, In the Beginning, takes us back to those early days of panic and confusion. And in particular, it takes us back to the story of one man. One man who was thrust into the national spotlight as the reluctant and remorseful representative of a virulent virus. Here's our producer Yoshi Fields with patient number seven. In February 2020, Corona was still just a threat to most of the world, not yet a reality. Countries were desperately trying to piece together a response. Everyone was checking the news incessantly, looking for answers to a million frightening questions. How deadly is this disease? Is it just a bad flu or the end of times? Is this going to affect my summer travel plans? Should I disinfect the newspaper? Does the virus stay on cardboard? Should we stop taking the kids to grandma and grandpa? Masks and gloves were selling out. Worried customers have been snapping up everything in sight, like hand sanitizer and disinfectant wipes. People were on high alert, doing whatever they could to avoid catching the virus. But for some, it was already too late. felt like I'm in a movie. There was a comedy, there was drama, there was tragedy, everything. That's Roni Bargill. I'm 53. I have five children, five grandchildren. I'm from Migdala Emek. In normal times, he's an instructor at a rehab center. But these, of course, aren't normal times. He's wearing a tight white t-shirt and a golden chain necklace. It kind of feels like I'm talking to Central Casting's quintessential version of Israeli man in his mid-50s. But as he tells me what happened just a few short months ago, his face quickly grows serious. His eyes glaze over. You see, Roni's movie, as he calls it, well, it started off as... A horror movie. And like any good horror film, it begins with a serene, wholesome scene. That moment when you know that something's about to go horribly wrong, but hasn't just yet. It was Friday evening, and we are uh, about to eat, you know, it's uh, Shabbat. His wife was preparing dinner in the kitchen. The usual. It's like a spicy fish that uh, my wife makes every Friday. Roni was in the bedroom taking a quick nap when his phone rang. And I don't know who was it, but professor or something like that. She said, Roni, I said, yes. She said, Shabbat Shalom. I have a very uh, bad news for you. I said, what? She said, your uh, test is positive. It was February 28th, six days after Roni and his family had returned from a birthday trip to Naples, Italy. Roni had developed a bit of a cough, just the kind he seemed to get this time every year. But mainly in order to calm his wife's nerves, Roni had gotten tested the previous night. He was sure it was nothing. Even now, with this professor on the line telling him he was sick, he thought to himself, no way. She said, yes, it's positive. He rubbed the sleep from his eyes. I said, maybe it's a mistake. Maybe you should uh, check it again. She said, there's no mistake, only it's positive. And I'm very sorry. 
As the news sank in, he was at a loss for words. I didn't know how to take it. They didn't know anything about the virus then. No information at all. And the news were very terrifying, very terrifying. And now it came to me. Like everyone else, Roni had been following the corona updates closely. He had seen story after story, mainly coming from China and Italy, of otherwise healthy people, many of them his age or even younger, who were being rushed to the hospital, never to return. Was his ticket up? Would this be the last time he saw his family? And most horrifyingly, were they now sick too? Wow, it, uh, it was a shock. It's a shock. But he didn't have much time to dwell on those thoughts. The professor on the phone informed him that you have 20 minutes to arrange yourself, arrange a, a small bag with some stuff because we are coming to take you uh, to isolation in Tel Ashomer. The ambulance was already on its way. Its destination, the new corona ward at Tel Ashomer Hospital in Ramakan. I just opened the door. My wife, she was in the living room. And I said, I just received the answer. I'm positive. She looked at him, her mouth open. Silence. I said, do not get near me. Keep yourself back. And my wife started to cry. And I've started to take some things and put in my bag. His hands were moving, grabbing things without really understanding what. A clean shirt, a pair of pants, some socks. Growing up, he had participated in school drills, practicing for air raids and terrorist attacks. As a soldier, he was taught how to react when being shot at. But what on earth do you put in your doomsday isolation bag? Nothing and no one had ever prepared him for that. How can I explain it? You know, it was a terrifying moment for all of us. For all of us. And then they came. It was just like a scene from Contagion, or 28 Days Later. The driver and his helper, they came out from the ambulance, white suits and, and the helmets and the masks. They look like aliens, you know. I'm not just saying that. They were fully equipped. Roni looked out at the street from his apartment. It was the start of spring, and the evening breeze was warm. He could see his neighbors pressed against their windows, watching too. Everyone was in their white Sabbath clothes, the glint of Shabbat candles flickering behind them. A few minutes earlier, he'd been pleasantly napping, dreaming about his wife's spicy fish, And now, he was being instructed to get into a cocoon-shaped plastic container in the back of the ambulance. You you are closed inside. You are isolated from everyone around you. And just like that, his wife and youngest son looking on helplessly, the ambulance sped off. It's not easy to terrify me. Not easy. Believe me, I've passed a lot in my life. But stuck in the incubator, alone with his thoughts, he began to panic. The only thing I I was thinking about is my children and my wife, that they were not uh, infected for me. A team of doctors, all dressed in white hazmat suits as well, were waiting to meet him outside the hospital entrance. It was like he was a VIP or something, 
And in a way, he was. Roni was soon informed that he was patient number seven. That's right, the seventh corona patient in the entire country. In a state of shock, all he could say in response was, Number seven is Ronaldo. Ronaldo, can he get the shot away? Oh, scores! What brilliant skill! The medical team smiled awkwardly and quickly escorted him to the newly designated COVID ward. Everyone in the country with corona was being sent here, they told him. All six others, that is. Each patient had their own room, completely isolated from anyone else. And I mean completely. Not even doctors were allowed in. Instead, they sat in the command center, a large green tent in the parking lot, and would communicate with the patients through TVs in their rooms. Routine vitals exams, blood pressure, temperature, pulse, would all be self-administered. No one is getting near you. But don't worry, they reassured him as they rushed him in. The doctor on the screen will walk you through it. He stepped into the room, alone. His hospital digs were unnaturally bright, small, but totally livable. He had a private bathroom and, as promised, a TV to watch. He even had a mini-fridge, stocked with some soft drinks and food, waiting for him. No extra charge. Having missed his Shabbat dinner at home, he munched on some cheese. But weirdly, he couldn't really taste it. A nurse appeared on his TV screen to check in with him. He was fine, he said. But no sooner had he finished his snack than he was launched into a new kind of movie. It was now no longer a horror film, but rather a sci-fi dystopia, the kind of film in which reality is warped and the familiar becomes strange. The professor who had called him with the distressing news just a few hours earlier was now on the line again. I need to know everything you've done since stepping off the plane, she said. Every single person you've come in contact with is now at risk. Roni was frazzled. He had literally just arrived in what felt like an alien spaceship and couldn't think straight. I do not know where I am. And she pressured me. She said, no, you have to tell me now. You have to see it and you have to think. And you have to, to, to make a list because you know something can happen. You cannot know people can be infected. She scared me. She, she, she made me feel like maybe I did something wrong. He understood the subtext. He could be on his way out. Maybe a coma. Maybe even worse. And they needed his help, his last lucid moments, to figure out who they should warn. He sat down and started racking his brain, searching his memory. The day before, uh, on Thursday, I've been in a supermarket, a big one. I've been in a restaurant. I've been in a, in a coffee shop in the morning with my wife. I've been in the gym. Or was that the day before yesterday? He was already confused, overwhelmed. I've been in many places, many places. The days before yesterday felt like a blur. Even just the past few hours felt like a lifetime. His mind was drawing a blank. All he could think about were the people who might never again see their loved ones because of him. People who casually passed him on aisle six in the supermarket and would now lose a grandparent, a parent, a child even. He promised to try again in the morning. The next day he got up and turned on the news. Everything, of course, was about Corona. They were talking about the six other people who were in the hospital with him. Several Israelis returning from abroad have been found to be infected. Though their names were kept private, all the places they had been were widely publicized, with maps and down-to-the-minute timetables. 
Patient number three, for example, had prayed at the Noga Street Synagogue in Irus from 6 to 7 a.m. on Monday. Patient number six had filled up gas at the Paz station in Aharia at noon on Sunday. And on and on and on. Regular people's lives, their comings and goings, were being dissected on national TV. The government was frantically formulating policies to protect the public and avoid entering the undesirable club of China, South Korea, Iran, and Italy. But as Israel implemented quarantine regulations, warned against international travel, and urged its citizens to practice extreme vigilance and caution, it was these people, now featured on TV, who were the chinks in the country's armor. Roni knew he would be on the news soon, too. And indeed, before long, reports surfaced of another unnamed individual who might have spread this terrible virus. Patient number seven. Him. As he watched, he felt guilty with myself. So I had to apologize. I, I, I felt that I have to apologize to people. And I said, there is no other choice for me but exposing myself. And so, after trying as best he could to reconstruct his steps for the authorities, he decided to address his internal sense of guilt. How do you say sorry for unknowingly spreading a deathly disease? He got his phone, went on Facebook, and started typing. Good afternoon, everyone. I want to share with you that on Saturday, I came back from a trip with my family in Italy, in Naples. He explained that he had tested positive for corona, but could not remember all the places he had been. So I want to say to everybody that it was me. Do not try to speculate, it's me. And I was uh, in touch with many people since we came from Naples. And we are very sorry if we have hurt anyone because it was not on purpose and we did not know. And it's very difficult for me. And when I'm writing this now, I will not lie, asking from everyone to take things in the right proportions. Thank you very much. That's it. That's what I, I wrote. What did you mean at the end when you said you're asking people to take it in the right proportions? Not to blame us. I'm, I'm a very good person. I'm not a, a bad person, so it's not easy to be criticized by people. I could not remember where I've been all those days. He took a big breath and pressed post. Then he put his hands behind his head and waited. Suddenly, the phone started ringing and it didn't stop. Everyone was reaching out to him. Family members, co-workers. Friends from my uh, old neighborhood. People I haven't seen for 35, 40 years. Even many calls from people I don't know. The messengers was full. People were contacting him to show their support, but also out of fear. Have you been in this place, in this hour? Have you been in that place? Please tell me, I have to know, because I was there, my parents was there. And I've answered everyone. Everyone. It was like Roni had become a one-man information center, a small-scale CDC, doing his best to manage the nation's skyrocketing levels of anxiety. Thousands of messages, thousands in WhatsApp, in Messenger, on Facebook. I tried to give them the best answer. 
and many people asking me, what do you feel? Just tell me, like uh, consulting me. Like uh, I'm a doctor or something like that. I'm telling you, since I wrote that post, there was no, uh, it was not, not a minute that I could rest. The phone did not stop uh, ringing. And how are you feeling? Like, are you feeling sick? You- Nothing. I didn't think of any headache pill. Nothing. I didn't feel anything. And my cough went away. Roni was emotionally drained, but physically he felt just fine. When his family called, asking what they could bring him, he said, I asked for two lifts, weight lifts. Weights, like for exercising. He usually runs, but that wasn't really an option in his small room. On day three, he found out that his family members had all, somewhat miraculously, tested negative. Finally, he could let out a deep sigh of relief. The next few days went by in a haze. He watched the news. He answered people on Facebook. He got in his weight reps. And mainly, he thought about life on the outside. His mind would drift to the future. He felt healthy and was optimistic. He hoped Corona didn't have any more surprises in store for him. But while more and more people were getting sick, no one in Israel had, at the time, fully recovered. In fact, the team of experts assembled at Tel Shomer Hospital was still formulating the definition for what it meant for a COVID patient to recover. Ultimately, it was decided that a hospitalized patient would need to test negative twice in the span of 24 hours in order to be released home. Amazingly, the first of the two determining tests was negative. Roni had only one thought in his head as the second test was being administered. Please be negative so I can go home. A few hours later, the results came back. A second negative. Roni could go home. And that's when the movie genre switched once more. What started off as a horror film and then became a sci-fi dystopia was now, at least so it seemed, a feel-good hero-comes-home flick. Roni was no longer only patient number seven. He was now also the very first person to officially recover in all of Israel. He was both excited and nervous to face the world again. His eldest son was waiting for him outside the hospital, ready to drive him back to the apartment he had so abruptly left less than a week earlier. Roni stepped out of his isolated room and, flanked by some nurses, walked towards the exit. They opened the door, and I saw all those reporters, like 40 or 50. People were waiting for me like I'm on the red carpet. They came to me, how do you feel? It was something else. Tired and emotional, Roni gave an impromptu interview, trying his best to smile and remind everyone that he was now just a regular, healthy person. Then he hurried to hug his son and ducked into the car. We'll get back to Roni in just a second. But first, I want to invite you all to join our members-only Facebook group. You all know we have a Public Israel Story Facebook page. That's where we post links to our episodes, make announcements about shows, things like that. It's sort of like an online billboard. But the Facebook group is something different altogether. It's where fans of the show get to share their thoughts about episodes and interact directly with the producers. 
During COVID, that's also where we held many Facebook Live events, in which we spoke to some of the most memorable characters who have appeared on the show over the years, and asked them to update us on what's transpired since the story aired. Now that the season's back, we occasionally host live conversations with producers, who give us a behind-the-scenes glimpse of the production process. So bottom line, we hope you join. Just head to Facebook, search for Israel Story Community, and join the group. It's free, of course, it's easy, and it is fun. See you there. Okay, so let's get back to Roni, who you'll recall just emerged from Tel Shomer Hospital as the very first Israeli to recover from COVID. It was not a lot of time, it was only a week, but all the things that happened on those seven days, the exposure on Facebook and everything on the TV, everyone knew my name, people were recognizing me already. I've been a celeb. Roni awoke the next morning in his own bed. There was reason to celebrate, of course, but still, he couldn't seem to relax. His phone was buzzing nonstop with news stations wanting to know every little detail and asking to send reporters to follow him around. And, well, he didn't want that. The thing was that Ronnie is identified with the virus. Despite assurances from the medical community, who said that Ronnie was now just as healthy as the next guy, there were simultaneous reports of discharged patients in other countries who had relapsed and were possibly still infectious. People did not know the difference of being sick, being released, uh, being cured. They were afraid. Nothing was certain. I did not know how people would react. So I was very tensed. But I just fought with it. He could hide out in his apartment, hoping it would all blow over. But he feared that might just increase the media circus around him. I knew that if I will uh, just... Uh, close myself at home, it would be difficult for me to go outside. But going outside and resuming life was also daunting. He was concerned that his friends and neighbors would, understandably perhaps, blame him for spreading the disease. That they'd run in the opposite direction when they saw him. He also knew this couldn't go on forever. That's when I decided to go to the gym. They say working out is good for you, but Roni... He had something else up his sleeve. I wanted to be exposed more because people were afraid to get near someone who had corona. To that end, he allowed Khan 11, a major TV station in Israel, to go with him and film. I made a few uh, exercises and uh, I spoke to people there. Just I wanted people to see that everything is okay. And I guess Roni caught the media bug because he didn't stop there. Enter movie genre number four. Everyday man becomes a star. See, Roni, who had always been an avid news watcher, soon became a fixture on the news. But it wasn't about fame or glory, at least so he says. It was all part of his new mission. I want people to see me on TV that I'm sitting with this uh, person and this person, you know, and they can see it on TV so they won't be afraid of me. And basically, it worked. 
Sure. From time to time, someone would shoot him a worried stare and ask, Are you allowed to go freely on the streets? But 99% of the feedbacks were good. In fact, Roni quickly became the poster child for health after Corona. He was a COVID sensation, a popular interviewee. He even posted a joke certificate in which he anointed himself Israel's Corona expert. In another post, he uploaded a map of a run he had just completed, alongside a picture of himself in running clothes, giving the finger. The caption read, This one's especially for the virus. May its name be forgotten. The comments flooded in. Exclamation marks galore. You're a champion. You're an inspiration. Bravo. Others simply wrote, Thank you. So you might think that this is where the curtains close on Roni's movie. That's all, folks. But it isn't. Like any good M. Night Shyamalan film, there has to be one final twist. That moment when the protagonist comes to question everything he thought just happened. It started with another call from the doctors. 16 of April, they called me. They said, uh, if I'm willing to make this test for plasma, I said, sure, of course. He was told that they were testing all recovered patients for antibodies, which almost all corona patients have, and that these antibodies would help scientists better understand the virus and may even be used to develop a vaccine. I went 8 o'clock in the morning, took my blood, and I went home. And they said they would be in touch with me. And two days later, they called me, a doctor there called me and said, Ronnie, you know, you have no antibody at all. Start laughing inside. What the fuck? <laughs> Even prior to this call, Roni had been harboring some lingering doubts about his diagnosis. See, he basically felt healthy throughout. And even more telling, of all the thousands of texts he'd been sending to people who may have come in contact with him, no one got infected for me. No one. Not in the airplane, not in the restaurant, or anywhere I've been, not my wife, not my children, nothing. And the tests they took on Telashomer were negative. All this pointed to one pretty confusing conclusion. Maybe I was not sick at all. Maybe all those two months were false. In fact, the only data point that suggested that he had, indeed, ever been infected was that initial test which prompted the call from the professor. Still, the doctors weren't impressed by his conspiracy theory. They assured him that roughly 10% of people with corona don't develop antibodies. Uh, It doesn't mean you didn't have it. Maybe you did. Uh, So they just left it like question mark. But if you ask me, I'm not sure I was sick. I'm not sure. In the span of just a few months, Roni had been abducted by aliens and thrown into isolation. He confessed to the nation and gone through the terror of thinking he may have infected his family and community. It was me. He'd served as a one-man CDC and had been cured. He tried to get his normal life back just to be sucked into the limelight, where he became a man on a mission and a local celebrity. And now, it seemed like it might have all been based on a lab error. So how does a guy who's been through the ringer in such a public way feel now? There's no need to be angry. Angry about who? 
even if they made a mistake, mistakes happens. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a new virus. It's a new thing to everyone, even to the doctors. You can see it on TV. Everyone was confused. You cannot go uh, and blame someone now and maybe say, I'm going to sue you or something like that. I'm preferring to see the half full glass, not the empty one. Does it feel like it takes away from your experience at all? Like, oh, in the end, you're not really patient number seven. You're not the first person that was healed. If it was on me or not, this is not uh, what's important, but uh, I've got through everything, so, so I was patient number seven. Yeah. So no one can take that from me. <laughs> As I record this, there have been 20,633 reported cases of corona in Israel, meaning 20,626 since Roni was either correctly or incorrectly diagnosed. The lockdown in Israel is essentially over, at least for now. Businesses that have survived are starting to reopen, and beaches up and down the coast are abuzz. Like most people, Roni has gone back to work. He still gets stopped in the street occasionally, but it's almost always just for a friendly smile and a nod of recognition. Maybe a selfie. Going back to my life, that's it, okay. So I had my 15 minutes of glory. And uh, I want to move on. I have children, I have grandchildren, I have my wife, I have my life. Things I love to do, that's it. As the credits roll on his cross-genre roller coaster of a movie, the future is still unknown. And like so many of us, antibodyless Roni is still at risk. But he's not worried. He's proud. He feels he's passed the most important test of all. Not the corona test, but rather the test of what you do when you're suddenly thrust into the epicenter of an international pandemic. When I look back, I think this was the right way to react. And if you ask me, I would do it again. But if Roni has any say about it, there most definitely won't be a sequel. Yoshi Fields. In the turbulent world in which we now all live, things have changed pretty dramatically since Yoshi recorded the narration for this story, just a couple of weeks ago. As of this moment, Israel is experiencing a massive spike in cases, and appears headed for yet another large-scale lockdown. But of course, any prediction at all seems foolish these days. We all just live from one moment to the next. On March 31st, 2020, right around the time the media circus around Roni was finally dying down, Rachel Gemara, the COVID nurse we heard at the start of the episode, posted another update on Facebook. This one was about her fears. I'm afraid that my elderly patient, who for the first time in her life is separated from her devoted family, will be disoriented and anxious and call out for a nurse, but no one from the staff will be there to hear her. I'm afraid that when my palliative patient passes away, I won't make it in time to go in and say the prayer for the departed soul. I'm afraid because every day there are more and more admissions and more patient statuses are escalating from mild to critical. 
I'm sometimes so physically exhausted, I'm afraid I'm going to miss a patient's abnormal vital sign or not have enough time to get to them if they need assistance. To be honest, I'm terrified. Hey, Rachel. Hi, how are you? Hi, how are things? Good. Still busy. So, Rachel, we're now talking uh, in early July, and obviously a lot has happened since you wrote these posts. Um, how how are you doing today? I'm still working in the corona unit, so I'm still there. Um, yeah, I mean, the country pretty much went back to normal, more or less, so it's different. But uh, I'm still there, and it's still, you know, the virus is still around, so still working hard. Knowing that it's going to end one day, that's definitely really exciting to think about. Rachel Gemara was one of our guests during Isra Palooza, the 12-hour-long Zoom celebration we put on for Yom Ha'atzmaut, Israel's Independence Day, back in late April. We've since uploaded all the segments from Isra Palooza to our YouTube channel. So if you want to hear our managing producer Zev Levi's entire interview with Rachel, just go to YouTube and search for Isra Palooza. That's I-S-R-A-P-A-L-O-O-Z-A. This was the second episode of our COVID-19 miniseries, Alone Together. You can hear the first episode of the series, Mazal Tov, and all our previous episodes on our site, israelstory.org, or by searching for Israel Story on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you usually get your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all under Israel Story. And while you're at it, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter so that you never miss an episode. If you want to sponsor episodes of Israel Story, email us at sponsor at israelstory.org. And let me say, this is a win-win situation. By sponsoring our episodes, you both support the work we do and get exposure to a tremendous audience. Thanks to Sheila Lambert, Erica Frederick, Jeff Fagg, and Joy Levitt. As always, this episode was mixed by Sela Weissblum and sound designed and scored by Joel Shupak with music from Blue Dot Sessions. Israel Story is produced in partnership with Tablet Magazine. Our staff is Yochai Meital, Zev Levi, Yoshi Fields, Joel Shupak, Skylar Inman, Sharon Rappaport, and Rotem Tzim. Abby Adler, Marie Ruder, and Carly Rubin are our wonderful production interns. Jeff Umbro from the Podglomerate is our marketing director. I'm Mishi Harman, and we'll be back very soon with part three of Alone Together. To tell Haredi not to go to the shul, to the synagogue, to Daven, to pray, this is, it never happened. Even in the Holocaust, they didn't stop praying. So, till next time, stay safe. Shalom, shalom, and yalla bye. <laughs> Shepherd, I'll
יכולת לשים את היד וללחוש לה יכולת לשבת בצד ולבחוש לה אבל היום דבר היום, אבל היום דבר היום לא נעים להתנשק בסרט של פליני איך אפשר שיתחשק בסרט פאזוליני בגלל ויסקונטי זה פירה לי קורסאווה וגודר לא תפסתי שום דבר עכשיו צריך לשמוע תולדות והרצאות, ניתוח לפני ואחרי ואחרי. עכשיו צריך בשקט לשאת בתוצאות של איך וכיצד והרי ולראות סמים וחוסר קשר, גז מרעיל ווייטנאם. דיאלוג חסר כל פשר וגברים ללא עונה. הסרטים של פעם לא בא להתאמץ, עם השירים של פעם יכולת לגהץ. יכולתי לשיר בין הסיר והמחט, לחלום איך שגר בו אותי מנצחת. כי רק אתמול היה גדול, כי רק אתמול היה גדול, כל דירה הייתה מבצר וכל מיטה שני הלב היה נשבר בכל מקרה, רק דושה. ואז במגדלורים, באוריונים, רקסים בית העם, התאהב כל העולם. בגלל ויסקונטי זה פירלי קורסאווה וגודר, לא תפסתי שום דבר. בגלל ויסקונטי זה פירלי קורסאווה וגודר. Thank you.